Welcome to the Angel Investors Network podcast. Angel Investors Network is the first national angel group founded online in 1997, dedicated to perpetuating free enterprise, capitalism, and supporting the American dream. In addition, Angel Investors Network is the organization behind the powerful Mastermind Investment Club, dedicated to harnessing the philosophy of a mastermind to increase success and their investment portfolio. Jeff Barnes is the COO and CMO at Angel Investors Network. Jeff is a two-time international best-selling author who helps entrepreneurs and leaders start, scale, and exit their businesses while creating freedom and autonomy along the way. On the podcast, Jeff brings together the most successful privately held companies in America to share with you how they grow their businesses and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Jeff Barnes. All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is Jeff Barnes with Angel Investors Network, and you are listening to the Angel Investors Network podcast. And thank you very much for being here today. I have a very special guest who's going to be talking a lot about business growth and what it takes to, to run a business and scale a business. I'm really excited to, to present and introduce Mr. Sean Buck. Sean is the owner and the founder of the Newsletter Pro that has been in business since 2011. They have made the Inc. 500 list two times and the Inc. 5000 list once. He hires and employs about 60 individuals and is an eight-figure business. So he's done a lot of great things in scaling his business from the ground on up. He's the author of two books with a third book on the way. He's also married and has five children. I don't know how he manages to do all of that and still run a business at the same time. Welcome, Sean. Thank you very much for being here. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having, having me. I'm uh, super, super pumped to be here. Absolutely. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I love to dive a little bit deep into what the thought process was for an entrepreneur who decided to go out there and start a company. Because, you know, I know in, in our world, when we're talking with entrepreneurs, it seems like it's the normal thing. But in reality is, there's a very small segment of the, of the world, of the population out there that actually wants to start a business. So what was that crazy night that said, you know, that crazy idea that came to you that said, hey, you have to run your own business? When did that happen? What transpired? So there was really a, a two, two points in my life. It was actually all happened when I was younger. So uh, when I was about 10, I was in kind of a bad situation, family situation, and uh, had a had a, a stepmom who was mentally abusive, you know, just really mean, really, really mean, called me all sorts of nasty things. And I realized at that point, I didn't know exactly how, but I realized at that point, I never, ever wanted to be under someone's thumb like that, right? Mm -hmm. She could control me and she could hurt me at a whim or she could ground me or she could uh, take away my stuff or use me as a, a servant around the house, you know, for uh, six or seven or eight hours cleaning all day on a Saturday, not as a punishment, just as a normal way of life, you know? And so I realized pretty quickly that that sucked, <laughs> you, know, <Sure. laughs> uh, you know, I was only 10, but I was, you know, I was, uh, you know, uh, smart enough to pick that up. And then, and then I had a life experience happen to me, you know, just kind of a, a different event. Uh, when I was 16, I got a call from my ex-girlfriend, uh, giving me her good news and her good news was that she was pregnant wow. and I was very confused why she was calling me. Um, but, uh, I quickly figured it out because she told me the baby was mine. I told her that that couldn't possibly be, we'd been broken up for two months. And then she proceeded to tell me that's exactly how that happened. So I was very smart at 10 and very dumb at 16. No, I, I mean, I meant dumb <laughs> in, 
in, uh, in understanding how biology works. Uh, you know, yeah, so yeah, you figured that out to have five kids now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well now my dad finally told me uh, a couple of years ago, so we're done. Uh, having kids now. Um, so had that birds and the bees talk and I'm like, Oh my goodness. If I'd only known, uh, now five kids, I got all boys. I love it. It's great. But, uh, you know, so anyhow, I ended up having a kid, uh, two weeks before my 17th birthday and I had to figure life out pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and I'd always been somewhat entrepreneurial, and I think some of that experience from being a young kid, trying to figure out what I was going to do with life, you know, how I was going to get away from this this woman. And so, so anyhow, I uh, went to Barnes Noble and picked up some books. I couldn't actually buy any of them because I was working at Chuck E. Cheese at the time, and I had a kid on the way. Um, but I read a, a number of them. I ultimately did buy one. Uh, but I mean, I usually literally use Barnes and Noble as a library. I'd go in there, sit there, read books. This was before they had coffee. Uh, they just had like bean bags and chairs and stuff. And I just sit there for hours in an evening, you know, trying to figure out how to be an entrepreneur. Um, and then in 2001, when I was about 20 years old, I took the leap, quit my job working for AT&T. And I had some little side hustles between 16 years old and 20 years old. Little side, sold pagers to my friends, did a few little things like that. Did some cartridge, uh, printer cartridge recycling things like that, you know, side hustles. And, uh, but anyhow, at 20 years old, I took the jump. I left my uh, very, very cushy job at at and I was selling cell phones at the time and I was one of the top salespeople in the country for them. So I was making about a buck 20 a year at 20 years old. And I opened up a couple hot dog stands and I then proceeded to spend my twenties buying and selling companies, trying to figure out what I liked and what I didn't like and how to run businesses and uh, how to grow them. And uh, yeah, that was kind of what I did through most of my twenties. I think I went through six or seven different companies at the time. And, uh, but yeah, and been an entrepreneur ever since. So it was, it was really life circumstances that I think it was actually ingrained in who I was, but the life circumstances brought it out pretty quickly. And yeah, early. yeah, that entrepreneurial seizure creeps up at uh, strange times, doesn't it? Yep, yep. So, so. Well, very cool. So, and then in 2011, you went on to found the Newsletter Pro, but you've yes. already, you would already said you bought and sold a few businesses and you're kind of just uh, playing the game right there. What was it that led you down that path to starting that business? Well, so we're an offline print newsletter company. So if you think about that for like a quick second, you're like 2011 offline print newsletter company, that seems crazy, right? Um, and a little bit it was, but what I found was that I saw a lot of people abandoning print media at that point in time. Everyone was saying it was all going to go digital. Everything's going to be online. And I just didn't believe it. And I'm a big believer uh, and have been my whole life that if everybody's going right, I should probably be going left because the masses are typically always wrong, mm -hmm. which is why the entrepreneurs listening to this, like that's what you did, right? Everybody else goes out and gets a good job and tries to figure out how to, you know, have uh, eke out a living that way. And, and they're all going right. And you went left, you know, and, uh, and here you are as an entrepreneur. And so uh, that's, that's been kind of the way I ran my life. I mean, even as the example, when I talk about having the kid at 17 years old, you know, I raised him instead of his mom. So by the time he was three, he was pretty much living with me full time. And that was despite a lot of people telling me, don't do that. That's crazy. Walk away, you know, leave. Right. So that's been kind of a theme through my whole life. And so I said, look, all my friends are starting SEO companies and AdWords advertising companies and social media companies and so on and so forth. And, you know, and I'm like, look, I'm not going to do that. That's what everybody's doing. But I had used a print newsletter for my own businesses since 2002. They crushed it. It was still crushing it for me in 2010 when I was, uh, before I sold that company I had at the time. And I was like, uh, you know, I think I'm going to go do this thing. 
And, and so that was kind of how it got started. Very cool. Awesome. Well, uh, I do want to dive deeper into that and, and what it is you guys do today. But before we do that, I, I really want to talk about the businesses that you were buying and selling. And you sold, you said you sold one business before you started up the newsletter pro, you know, what was that process like of actually exiting a business? I, I know that there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there that say, Oh, I never want to leave my business. I'm only going to start a business that I love and I'm going to do it until the day I die. And then something happens and like, okay, either I should just continue down this path and maybe keep doing it or the business is not doing so well, or there's the few that do something like what you did, which is actually sell the business or get out of it. How did you yeah. do that? And why did you do it? Well, so in that particular business, uh, that was just a business that was a means to the end. I'm originally from the Bay Area. I'd moved to um, Idaho. Uh, I had a similar company in the Bay Area that I'd sold. The economy was pretty shaky in uh, you know, 07, 08, which is when I started, um, which is when I started that company. Um, and I, but I knew I could make it work. I knew I could make money. I could feed my family. I could, you know, I could, I could grow this company cause I had a lot of experience in it. And so it wasn't really for that particular company. It wasn't really the company I wanted to own. And I, I just needed to do it for a few years to make sure that, you know, we could get through the recession and, uh, and not, you know, burn every, every last penny we had, you know, saved and built up over the years. And, um, and so that's, that's for that company. But let me tell you my, let me switch though the question just a little bit and tell you how I look at it today. Sure. Cause I think it's probably more useful. Mm -hmm. The way I look at it today is that you should always be building a company to sell it every, you know, I mean, from inception, the idea should be not that I'm going to, that you're going to build it so it can be sold because any company that is worth someone else pending their money in and buying from you is a company that is worth owning. Yeah. And because if you are going to sell a company, unless you're talking about a very, very small business, right? Like, um, you know, doing a few hundred thousand bucks a year, which is a pretty small business. And not that those aren't great companies. I've had a number of those by the way, but you know, a, a company that's doing a couple hundred thousand bucks a year, the guy who, or guy or gal who's buying it kind of expects to come in and run it. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to get millions for your company, they expect to hire someone to run it. And if they're going to hire someone to run it, then, you know, you can't be the guy who does everything in the business, right? You can't be the only reason the business works. You can't be the person, the only person who understands how to run the systems and processes there at the company. And so your whole, you know, everything you're doing is build the company. And then as, as fast as you can exit yourself from as many processes uh, you know, and day-to-day -day operations as you can so that uh, one, you don't become the bottleneck and the company can scale, but two, so that you're required to put in the systems and processes for it to run without you. Oh, Sean, that is music to my ears. You have no idea how happy it is to, how happy I am to hear stuff like that. Um, you know, my background, U.S. Navy, Fortune 500, then running uh, international projects and then running businesses. And, um, you know, that's, I, I, at the executive coaching, that's the number one thing we have to talk about is to have a business. A business is a series of systems and processes. That's really all it is. Yeah. And you want to be able to plug people into those systems wherever they're needed. And of course, you want the right people in the right seats and all of that. But just like you said, every business that I go to and we're, we're looking at them, they're not growing. It's like, why are you still at the same revenue level you've been at for the last year or two years or three years or whatever that might be? And you look and you're like, oh, wow, it's because the CEO is really trying to do a lot of the things still. They're not stepping back and letting other people take the reins and make those decisions. And yeah. so when you said that, I was like, oh, that's so nice to hear because from an investor standpoint, you're exactly right. Like that, I, I couldn't have said that better myself and I'm in that business, right? Cool. <laughs> Which is 
if I'm buying a business or I'm investing in a business, I'm not investing in a job. I don't want a job. I'm not going to yeah. buy your company to be the CEO and to be or to be the president. I'm buying it because I want to make a financial return, which means somebody else needs to run it, right? Yeah, totally. And and that's the way that I, I'd say every entrepreneur needs to look at it. And then even from the the investor standpoint, right? Uh, we've invested in and acquired a number of companies over the years, and our goal is to identify those ones that are going to be the wins, right? We're not necessarily a venture capital company looking for the, the unicorns out there. And why would I spend my time doing that when I can find several companies that can give us a much better return much faster, right? Sure. But that's exactly what we look for. Is the CEO irreplaceable? And if the CEO is irreplaceable in that business, it's probably not a good investment. No, it's a horrible investment. And <laughs> But here's the thing. The, the interesting part about that is, is it's probably actually a horrible business for the CEO too. Oh, he's probably just waiting for somebody to write any sort of check just to get out of it, right? Yeah. And, and in turn, uh, sometimes you can actually get great deals <laughs> under those, but it's a lot of work to turn them around, right? Yep. And, or if you do get a check, you're tied to the thing for years in order to get the full payout because yeah. they've got to build those, they've got to keep you in place and then build those systems while you still work there, while you're still doing your thing and then kind of phase you out over a three year period. And so, no, like it's, I don't want people to miss the point of even if you don't want an investor, even if you don't want uh, to sell, even if you are going to run it forever, which frankly is probably not realistic. Um, but even if that is the case, a business that someone like you or me will walk in and write you a check for is a business that is really good to own. Yeah. Like it, that's a high quality business. I actually just put an offer in on a company yesterday to purchase them and the founders no, no longer involved day to day. They've got a CEO in place. Like that's a business worth buying, you yeah. know? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's one of these things where, where you, you need to run that for your own sanity as the entrepreneur. You need to run your business that way for your own sanity as an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. You know, I, I think the, the, the piece that's really important here for any entrepreneur that's looking at a business is you essentially just described, you know, Michael Gerber's The E-Myth, right? Sure. And a lot of people have read that book and they've thought about it and they're like, okay, yeah, I get it on principle. It makes sense. But in your businesses, can you walk through that journey of, okay, I am the guy with all the hats on to eventually being the CEO and I know there's, that's a big step considering yeah. the size of your business, but what are some of those key pivotal moments where you're like, okay, now I can see that either that hockey stick growth or I can start to see that revenue taking off because of a change I made. What were some of those that happened in your career? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can give you that. Let me, let me go, let me back up to the e-myth really quick. You know what people take from the e-myth most, most of the time, what you mm -hmm. hear from people they kind of regurgitate it is, uh, well, I want to work uh, on my business, not in my business. Right. Uh, <laughs> and they assume that that's like a, the, like a light switch. They just flip that switch, right? You know, yep. that's not how that works. No. And that's where they get the e-myth wrong. You only get to work on your business, not in it after you put the systems and processes in place. Yep. So, um, so look for us, I mean, it started out as, as basically just me, right? Just me and my wife would help, you know, here or there if I really needed like a big job that had to get out. And uh, my son, my, the one I had at, at 16, I, I used a little, little labor there too. Um, you know, bribed him with a new video game or something, right? You know, and got some help there. And, uh, and so, but it was really just me starting, right? And so one of the hardest things to do actually is to go from 
just you to your first employee. That's really scary uh, for a lot of entrepreneurs. And, and what I tell people is, is look, I want you to think about any hire you make, whether it's your first employee or we just put, uh, we just uh, are in negotiations to hire a new team member here at a really good salary level, right? A high salary, salary level. And you always hope that stuff's going to work out, but it doesn't always. And my response to that is, is listen, um, you know, we want to be respectful, but you got to understand this is one, this is a, you know, this is my management team talking to them. Look, that kind of a hire is a one week at a time hire. Like if we hire them in three weeks in, they're like, we were completely wrong. They fooled us in the interview, right? We're mm-hmm. actually not out that entire salary. We're out three weeks worth of pay. You mm-hmm. know, that's what we're out. And so you first come in understanding that, yeah, you may be offering someone, you know, 60,000 bucks a year, 80,000 bucks a year, a hundred thousand bucks a year, whatever it is. But that's like literally just one week at a time is, is all we're talking about from a pay standpoint. So one, you got to get over that first hire. And that is one of the most important hires because you, you can only get, I mean, you know, you can get to a hundred, 150,000, maybe you're really good and you can get to 300,000 by yourself, but there's no, there's very, very, very few companies that can do half a million or a million dollars a year off the back of one individual. And so, so you really need to start hiring that person. You won't do it this way, but you need to start hiring them about the first time you think you need someone, that's when you need them. What most people will do is they will wait until they're like drowning before they actually hire that person because they're scared. But, uh, but it's the first time you even think that you need someone. That's probably when you actually need to hire someone, right? So that was, that was me. So my first hire was a young lady named Kelly. And, uh, and I, I had the, you know, I, I had a really cool benefit that, that came out of the bad economy in 2011, which was that it was a bad economy mm-hmm. and I was able to find talent, uh, that was overlooked. And you know, one thing I'm actually still finding today, even in 2018 in a good economy, right. Is that women, a lot of times are super overlooked in our marketplace. You know, they just aren't given some of the same opportunities, although typically they're just as, you know, I mean, everyone can be talented, but they're just as talented and many times way more talented than the guy who are applying for the same position, right? And so uh, what I did is I looked for the diamonds in the rough because uh, that's what I could afford at the time. I looked for someone who had a lot of talent, a lot of potential, but I had to develop. Uh, and that was my first hire. And so making that, making that first hire was very, very scary because I was literally doubling my, my team, right? One to two. And then, I, and then when I, you get that second hire, you're doubling your, uh, you're kind of doubling your employee count at that point, which is also kind of scary. But every time I hit a point where it was all coming to me, where it was all like, uh, it was coming to me and then there was a delay. That's when I knew that I was definitely needed that next level person. I needed someone else. I needed more help, right? So if you came to me and I was able to turn that thing around for you right away and get it back to you and whatever your request was, and it was, and it was easy and it was good. Then I, you know, I, I kind of felt like I was pretty good at the time. Like we were, we were doing good. But the moment it was like, you came to me, you had a request. It really should have taken, you know, 20 minutes to get done. And it took three days and it wasn't a one-off type of a mistake. You know, then, uh, then that's when I knew that I was behind the eight ball and I really needed to get someone in here right now. And so what I found was, is that I am the bottleneck in our business most of the time, right? I'm the reason that we aren't growing because I'm trying to take on too much. And so when we hit those milestones, I just tried to recognize them that if I'm stopping the flow of either of whatever is going on in the company, the moment, if I can't recognize it ahead of time, which would be ideal, but the moment I do recognize it, I need to go ahead and hire. Otherwise, I'm just never going to scale. We're always going to be half a million dollar a year company or a million dollar a year company or whatever the case may be, right? And then the the one mistake I made was that I got into the habit of hiring people and doing a lot of on-the-job training early on. And that's fine very early on, but as we grew, I kept doing that. 
And that caused a few issues and, and bumps on the road. And so that was a big lesson learned that eventually you've got to switch from on the job training to I actually already have this skill set, you know, and I can come in and plug in and, and make an impact faster. And when we switched that, we saw another big, you know, kind of quantum leap in growth because it, they there I now had people who were actually better at it than I was, who was smarter in that position or whatever the case may be. And uh, and so then we saw another big quantum leap in growth. The next kind of development that happened was my management team. So having to build out a management team, initially it was all promoted from within. And then, uh, and, and unfortunately that will only take you so far as well too, right? You sometimes, yeah. you know, you need to find someone who is, understands the, the normative model and they've already been there so they can help you overcome some obstacles, you know, that's, that are coming your way that you don't even know are coming because you've never been there. Right. And so then we had to start hiring externally to bring in management. Right. And so, so those were a couple of like the, the, like the, from the first person to the transition from only, uh, you know, hiring people that I had to develop into hiring people that actually already had us had the skill set to then transitioning into only promoting from within to then hiring externally for those, for those opportunities and stuff. And th- those were a couple three big points that I wish I had done better on those and, and, and kind of uh, made those decisions quicker. And, and, and I, I think we'd even be bigger now and, and I would have uh, less gray hairs and stuff like that. So. <laughs> sure. No, I think with five kids, man, that that's, in the back <laughs> it, it was coming either way. <laughs> around that one. Um, right. Damned if I do, damned if I don't. <laughs> right? you, you made some really good points there. And the first, you already answered my, my question. My next question, which was, who was your first hire and why? Uh, so you already take care of that one, but cool. The other one that I had, and it goes right to the heart of what you started this conversation with, which is when everybody else is going right, I go left. And mm-hmm. he said, okay, listen, you know, you might be able to do a hundred K three, 300K, maybe even $500,000 if you're lucky off the back of one person, but, but that's not normal. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you have all these gurus, you know, my little air quotes here telling you, oh no, no, you can just set up a website and do a, a nice little funnel. And if you set up the funnel the right way, the technology will do all the heavy lifting. And before you know it, you'll have a seven figure business all by yourself. Right. Yeah. And I've been there. I've been down that path trying to do that. And I can tell you the same thing that you just said, which is not worth it. Right. That you're just doing yeah. too. Um, but, but what do you say to those people who are trying to drink that Kool-Aid that all I have to do is get my one website running, my one system running, my one product, right. And I'm going to be a millionaire all by myself. What do you say to those yeah. All right. Well, I got a couple of things I'd tell you. First of all, I am friends with most of those gurus that you are listening to. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I know, the, I know the vast majority of the, the big names out there right now. And uh, that, that's complete crap. <laughs> so, right. I, and I know a lot of their, I know a lot of, I get to see a lot of the back end of their businesses. Like I get to see their revenue. I get to see their profits. I've, I've actually had done marketing consulting for some of them in the sense of like, not as a, like, not even as paid, uh, just as we're friends and they come in, I'm stuck here. Can you help me? They've done it for me as well too. You know, so, so anyhow, um, I'm just, you know, it, it, there are absolute unicorns out there where that works. Um, there are businesses I've even, I even saw an article a couple months or a year ago on Inc about, you know, this, uh, these million dollar businesses with one or two people or whatnot. But look, that's the exception, not the rule. There's also uh, a few people who have been uh, billionaires at, at 28 years old, like, you know, but the average person isn't. So uh, let's not, let's not shoot for the lottery. Let's, let's, you know, play in an area where we're more likely to win. Um, And then the second thing I tell you is look, the loneliest number in business is one. 
I don't want one of anything. The only time I want a one is when it's followed by commas and zeros. Like <laughs> I don't want one of, I like one bookkeeping person, one, this is actually one of the reasons we ended up scaling because of this philosophy of mine right here, which is that when I have one of anything, I need to figure out how to get a second person in here because if the first person gets hit by a bus, I don't want to be screwed. Yep. And so your goal shouldn't be one of anything because it, it, you're just setting yourself up for failure. And, and I'll give you a good example. 2008, 2009, somewhere in that neck of the woods, I uh, had a business. It was in the information marketing space. I was a guru of my niche and I was doing AdWords advertising and I was selling a, you know, how to start a business course in my niche. And I was selling it for $1,500 for like five DVDs, three audio CDs, and two manuals worth of stuff that I think I spent two weekends putting together. And I was spending about, I was spending only about $1,000 to $1,500 a month on AdWords, but I was bringing in $20,000 a month in product sales. So I was absolutely crushing it. Mm-hmm. But I had one way I got customers, which was AdWords, and I had one product I sold. And all of a sudden, you know, AdWords made this decision that they weren't going to allow business opportunities to sell anymore on their platform. And I got banned overnight, gone. And I mean, I had an email list, so I guess maybe I had like two ways to market, kind of, but I had no ways of getting new names on that email list other than AdWords. And so I ended up selling a little bit more over the next six months. Um, until the last month I sold one course for $1,500 despite sending out like a dozen emails over the course of the month. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I realized that, uh, that I was out of business. I mean, I knew I was going out of business, but I realized that at that moment I was out of business. And I also realized that, that that was horribly big mistake on my part of not taking some of those profits, reinvesting them and finding other sources of lead generation. Uh, so that had AdWords, had I done that and AdWords had, gone away like it did, I might have still been able to run that company. Maybe I would have made less money or I definitely would have made less money, but I then could have used the money I had to scale and grow and, and find other uh, avenues to advertise my product. So look, you don't want one of anything. It's, it's, it's a horrible business model. It's, it's not really sellable. Uh, I mean, every now and again, you know, if, I guess if it's a website, maybe, but I mean, it just, it very rarely exists that it's, that it's crushing it. And yeah, it, it's not a scalable model by any stretch, right? Sure. I mean, if you're, if, you lucky, if, you, if you're the holder of all the keys and all the wisdom, then it just takes one bad day for you to be in the hospital and uh, not be able to run that business either. So yeah, totally, totally. I actually ended up in the hospital when it was when it was just me and my first uh, full time employee. I ended up in the hospital. I had my appendix ruptured. I ended up in the hospital a couple of days, and uh, you know, and I was out for like a week or whatever it was. And let me tell you, it didn't run so smoothly. You know, when that happened, so. No, I, I could imagine, but you know, maybe, maybe that along with some of the other things is, you know, I took down a few notes here and the first thing that I heard, which I, I hold near and dear to my heart is you can probably hire somebody with all the credentials in the world, the letters behind their name, if you want them to, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be the best employee. Right. Sure. And you can mitigate that by saying just like what you said, which is, listen, you, you don't have to hire them and pay them the full year's salary up front. You don't even have to pay them a whole month up front. You just give them by the hour or by the week, right? Yeah. You can minim minimize your risk there. But the other thing that I, I picked up is that you hire for fit, right? You're hiring, you're looking for that person. Maybe on paper, they don't look like the best person for the job, but they're probably the best person given where you are in your company or for the culture of the company. Right. Sure. That's really important. Super important. 
Yeah. We, I mean, we're, we've been one of the top three places to work in Idaho, uh, like uh, three years or one of the, I'm sorry, one of the top 10 places to work in Idaho last three years in a row. And, um, you know, culture is huge for us. You don't, you do not get a job here if you don't fit the culture. You do not keep the job here if you get out of alignment on the culture. You know, I mean, it is, culture is gigantic for us. And, and so that's, that's very well said. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome, Sean. Well, um, you know, thank you very much for your time. I, I want to make sure people have a chance to, to reach out to you, to learn a little bit more about the Newsletter Pro. Uh, where's the place they can go to learn more about you and your business and what you guys do? So I got um, probably two, two things. They can go to newsletterpro.com forward slash angel. And if they do that, uh, there'll, there'll be a webpage. And actually, uh, courtesy of you guys, they can get a free copy of one of my books on uh, the Ultimate Guide to Newsletter Marketing. Uh, I promise it will not be boring. You will enjoy it. Um, and, uh, you'll learn a lot from it. And if, if you would, if instead of doing that, you would prefer to text opt in, that's fine as well too. So just text, uh, the word podcast to 208-269-9111. That's 208-269-9111. Um, you can text there or you can go to newsletterpro.com forward slash angel and we cover all the shipping and handling fees uh, as long as you have a real business. So we got to be able to Google you and find you, uh, <laughs> but we'll pay for it to, uh, to send it over to you uh, if you're in the U.S. And we'll send you a digital copy if you're outside the U.S. But, uh, but yeah, that, they should head over there, check it out. Uh, and then, of course, they can check out our website if they'd like as well, too, if that makes sense for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I can attest to the book. I learned a lot in, in the book, reading, reading Sean's book and reading the one that you did with Dan Kennedy as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I know that the, the business that Sean runs is definitely a, a manual type of business, even though it is technically, I guess you could call it an info product, right? Newsletters being an info product. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we, and we do some info products. Uh, some, of those, some of those gurus were the ones who are actually publishing their newsletters. So, yep. uh, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And very cool. All right. Well, Sean, I would love to carry on the conversation for another hour, but you know, we are at time right now. And I just want to say again, thank you very much for all, all the nuggets you gave us and our listeners. And I really do appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. It was fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care, Sean. We'll, t we'll talk again soon. Take care. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer.